What up, what up, what up, everyone? This is the Dr. Football Podcast. I am your host, Dr. Dennis Tian. Yes, I am a real doctor, but no, we are not talking medicine. We are talking sports. We are talking football. We are talking NFL football with an emphasis on the New England Patriots, as always. I am joined by my main man, the CEO of Hedge Better, Justin Fine. Justin, man, what's going on? How are you, my friend? You know, I'm doing all right. Look, I got to I gotta be honest. I, it's your birthday, right? We got, uh, by the way, a very happy birthday to our host himself, right, Dr. Football. You? So, you know, reason to celebrate there. We got Christmas and the holidays right around the corner. Um, football this weekend. And yet, man, I'm finding it tough to bring a positive attitude today after the, the, the taste that was left in our mouth last week. And I know we got a couple games to get to because we, la- uh, we, we missed the Cardinals game, so we've got to talk about that too. Um, but boy, man, what an awful, awful ending. Not only to the game, but effectively ending the Patriots season, in my opinion. Um, what, what, what a piece of garbage last week was, huh? Most, most likely ending their season. Um, yeah, I mean, look, there, there are certain... There are certain games that that you remember, and I think that you know um, this game. First of all, it left me with a very visceral reaction. Like I was, I was upset, and I think we've seen a very mediocre product the last three years. As Patriots fans, we've had some gut wrenching losses and some great victories over the last twenty years. Very few games have have left me just viscerally upset like this game did for whatever reason. And we're going to get into all of that, but this was a very upsetting game. This, this was a loss that, that really just, you know, it should have never happened. And and it's, it was just a total waste. And it really, as a fan just makes you angry. Yeah. I mean, a hundred percent, like not only was it a game that was super important for the Patriots, uh, you know, the rest of their season and their playoff hopes, but you know, it, it just it it just continues the pattern of the Patriots finding a way to shoot themselves in the foot in the foot and managing to lose games against anybody that's not a layup. And I actually I mean that quite literally. You know, I'm looking back over the last two years now. Who have we beat that hasn't been a layup of a game? You know what I mean? No one. They 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 they, they can only beat um, you know teams that are below average or teams that are there's one or two in there where they won, but they played a team that was completely beat up. They, they, they have not had a, a good quality win in, in a long, long, long time. We're going to get into all that. Um, but, but I want to start and just, you know, take a step back and, and take a look at the big picture here, because as we just alluded to, Justin, there are losses and then there are the losses you remember. And if you ask me, I would submit to you that, The game that happened last Sunday in Las Vegas, the loss against the Raiders, it's far from the most important game the Patriots have played in, far from the most important game they've lost in in the last 20 years, right? But this is one of those games, because of the bizarre nature of the circumstances, that people are going to remember for years and years and decades, 30, 40 years from now, People are still going to be talking about this game. It takes a bizarre and conspicuous place in NFL lore. And while part of it is because of the 
unusual way the Patriots lost. I've never seen a team lose like that at any level of football ever, ever. Maybe you have, I can't remember, certainly an NFL or Division One college game ending like that. And that's going to be part of why people remember this game. But there's going to be a second reason why people remember this game, Justin. And it's going to be because this is the symbolic end of Bill Belichick tenure in New England, in my opinion. That the trend line for this thing is clearly going down. And unless that trend line makes an abrupt and dramatic reversal, it's becoming increasingly clear where this thing is headed. And I still wouldn't put it past Belichick to abruptly change the line of the trend. I, I want to throw that in there. But the reality is this hasn't gone well the last three years. The heat's turned up on Belichick. The losses are starting to mount. Mediocrity at best is setting in. And then you go out and you have a strange and bizarre, historically bizarre loss like you did last Sunday. People are going to remember the loss on Sunday for, for being the sort of watershed moment in the end of Bill Belichick in New England, unless something dramatically changes over the next year or two, and it might even be too late. Do you agree with me that, that this game will be remembered, Justin, that this is kind of going to be the watershed moment? When we look back 10 years from now, we're going to remember this game and say, you know, that this is this is the symbolic moment of, of Bill Belichick's post-Brady demise. It very, very easily could be. Um, and it, it almost was just a, a perfect culmination of everything that's been wrong with the Patriots since Tom Brady left. Like it was like that one game is like a microcosm of everything that has just not gone right in how these games and how these seasons have gone. Um, it, it definitely, I think is going to be one of the most memorable games of the post uh, Tom Brady era. I mean, in fact, I might even say it is, you know, I'm thinking about, um, you know, since he's left, what do we really have? Like what stands out more memorable than that in a good or bad way? You know what I mean? Um, it, if things don't, if things don't get corrected and corrected quickly, uh, it really does seem like that doomsday clock is ticking. And if it, you know, if it starts ticking a little bit faster and that end is near, um, I think you're right. I think this game is going to be one of the last, uh, last big, you know, staples that Patriots fans and people from around the league remember. Because again, what happened the other day, that's not just in the mind of Patriots fans or even just Raiders fans. That is league wide embarrassing. So, was it the was it the dumbest play in pro sports history? Like, I, I'm really trying to think of a dumber play. Like, you know, some of the things that come to mind: the butt fumble. I mean, that was a heat of the. That, that, I feel like that was a, as much a physical error as a mental one. Um, I think a Chris Weber's timeout. I, I I don't think that's that that's even nearly as bad. Like I really think this might have been the dumbest play in pro sports history. Can you think of a dumber one? I, I don't think I can. You know what? Like the only other one that like and another, well another one that comes to mind that we run the opposite end of is you remember the Colts with the three down linemen on yeah. on fourth down, but like. That didn't even like that game was already lost. Like that didn't cost him the game. Like this single-handedly right. 
lost the game, the last play of the game, like you didn't even have like a second on the clock. Like this, you ended the game with probably, and like you said, arguably one of the worst plays in professional sports history. Um, not just worst, dumbest. It might be the worst. It, it really might be. When the thing is, you know, usually when a team has a, a gut-wrenching loss like this, like, you know, the, the Minneapolis miracle or the, the immaculate reception comes to mind because, of course, Franco Harris passed away. Um, usually when something like that happens, the other team has made a good play, you know, to to make it happen. You know, there's something the other team does right that, that counteract that, that led to the thing going wrong for the other team. What did the Raiders really do? Right. Nothing. The Patriots completely screwed this up, did something that never should have been done. This was all on the Patriots. This wasn't case Keenum throwing up a pass to Stefan Diggs. This wasn't uh, Franco Harris being in the right spot at the right time and making a great play. This wasn't anything like that. This was just barfing a game away in the most profound and egregious fashion I've ever seen in my life. And it's what made it just so frustrating. And you just hit on something super important, Justin, which is you said this whole thing was symbolic of the last three years. And it was because, let's be honest, this this lateral play being so bad and so egregious, it is taking the Patriots a little bit off the hook for, for how they played earlier in the game that put them in the position to even have a losable game. Because they made, if you look at the, the the cavalcade of mistakes, right? The Bill Belichick catalog of post-Brady New England Patriots screw-ups, right? This game had them all. Bad penalties at terrible times. Terrible red zone offense. Uh, a missed throw by Mac Jones. I mean, honestly and truly, Justin, this game really did have it all in terms of the kind of mistakes we've been seeing from this team for the last three years. Yeah, I exactly. Um, and like you know, with that final drive, right? Like, let's let's just talk about the whole final drive, like up until the point where the Patriots got the ball back. Like, they gave up what was it like a fourth and like way long, right? Like, I don't know what the exact yardage was, but, 11, but they stayed they stayed in a prevent defense. Yeah, yeah. And and, and the Raiders marched the the, the the Raiders basically drove the entire length of the fields. With what, like under a minute left, something like that, um, or yeah, right well, around a minute. It's, yeah. So yeah, but I mean, that was the thing. Including they had to convert on fourth down at least once, I, if not maybe twice. Um, where did that defense go? You know what I mean? Like what? Like there was a lot. Like as embarrassing as that play was, it's exactly what you said. It covers up for the fact that that you know everyone wants to say, oh, the Patriots were about to win the game, and then you know. They, they they made that dumb play. Let's not forget, that game was tied up, heading into overtime. The Raiders had all the momentum, and the Patriots had shot themselves in the foot to not only keep the Raiders in the game up to that point, but to let them tie the game on the previous drive. So there is a lot to unpeel with that game that you know precedes that stupid, stupid play. Yeah, like I want to talk a little bit about some of those mistakes because I think that – Let's just go through them. Let's start on the drive at the end there, the Raiders drive, because you're right. Fourth and 11, Patriots are in a cover three defense. Terrible defensive call. Should have never been done. They give up the fourth and 11. I have, people are talking a lot about um, that play where um, 
the guy's name escapes the Raiders receivers was out of bounds. Uh, his foot was clearly out of bounds. Clearly. I can't believe Very they didn't clearly. turn that. However, there was still 35 seconds left on the clock. The Raiders still had a timeout. They're at the 30-yard line. You ask me, Justin, I have 0% doubt that the Raiders are going to score a touchdown on yep. that drive, yep. whether or not that call. We, the Patriots showed absolutely no exactly. no resistance to the Raiders driving the ball. And this is a trend we've seen from this team for years, that they can't get that big stop in, in the key locations. They play good defense at times. The defense is clearly better this year. But then when it really comes down to it, they drop the ball. And I think they would have scored no matter what. Oakland or L.A., Las Vegas. <laughs> Yeah, I think I think you're 100% correct. Watching that drive, as soon as they converted that 4th and 11, um, I said to myself, oh boy, because you could just feel the shift, right? You could feel the momentum shift. You could see that the Patriots defense looked like they were doing absolutely nothing uh, to prevent the Raiders. Um, it just really, really, you know, you got the feeling exactly like you said. Even if the th- that call got overturned, something was going to happen. And you know what? Like, look, I don't want to bail out, you know, the call and the refs. Like, that's an egregious, egregious um, mistake. I mean, it, you know what? Like, if, if, if everybody in America can clearly see that he's out of bounds, the ref should be able to make that call as well. I get it. You know what they say? Like, you know, it's got to be, you know, really hard evidence to overturn the call in the field. That's one of those cases where I think the evidence was pretty damn clear you know what i mean like i don't think there was even a shred of doubt um so it was not so you know from that standpoint i don't want to overlook the fact that um that was a huge huge blown call that very well could have um been the deciding factor in the game but you know what the patriots put themselves in that situation they kept him in the game early they gave up a big fourth down and then they made a stupid play to um to lose it in regulation instead of going into overtime. And, and again, you just feel like even if that game went into overtime, um, that the Raiders were going to come away victorious. Like it, it just, it just had all the signs. So, you know, I mean, it, it's, it's a very, very frustrating thing to, to see happen. And I'm pretty sure, um, pretty sure looking back the first time the Patriots played Detroit, after Matt Patricia went over to Detroit, Detroit beat the Patriots in what we considered a pretty bad loss too, right? And now, you yeah, know, the first, yeah, right. right, the first time you play Josh McDaniels, you lose a pretty bad one. It almost seems like Bill's former coaches, like they they could just have a way to to, to deal with him. They, it's almost like they know what to expect, um, and they they're able to game yep, plan that's for it. True. He has a bad record against his former coaches. Yeah. I want to bring you to the next next mistake that 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 killed them. And and it's again, because we're talking the mistakes they made that got them in this mess. Okay, you just alluded to something else. How much time do the Raiders have left when they got the ball? Do you remember what happened when the Patriots had the ball? The Patriots got the ball after a stop with three minutes left. First and ten at about their own 25-yard line. Do you remember that series? Sorry, which which first um, with three that. minutes left in the game. Yep. For three minutes, the Patriots got the ball back up by seven points. Yes. Okay. Run a few plays. You get two first downs. The game is over. Right. Okay. Maybe if you get one first down, the game isn't over, but you're giving them the ball back with like under a minute left and no timeouts. Okay. So even one first down is hugely impactful in that situation. First down play, 
the Patriots are running the ball down the Raiders' throat in the second half. Ramondre Stevenson gets three and a half yards. I say, that's a big win. I'm feeling great, okay? It's second and six, second and seven. What happens on second down? I think it was um, Trent Brown, fall star. Okay, so now instead of second and six, and a realistic chance to pick up six yards on, on, on two running plays on second and third down and potentially go to victory formation or damn near close to it, okay, you are left now with a second and 11, second and 12. Okay, and now, and not to mention, the clock stops, so you don't have to, um, you can't run any more clock. Okay, now you're in that situation where you're doing that ass backwards, stupid bootleg on third and nine for Mac Jones. And you're punting the ball back to the Raiders with, with two minutes left and all their time. Limits. I mean, how can you screw that up and take a penalty there in that spot? If they get that first down there, Justin, they probably win the game. Oh, no doubt. Um, has there been a, like a single player uh, on the Patriots roster that has made more crucial mistakes, brought more drives to an end, and cost the Patriots more opportunities than Trent Brown this year? No, he's been awful. He's been awful. And, and if you're asking me, what are the things that they need to do next year? I think at the top of the list, they need a left tackle. They, they cannot go into another year counting on this guy. Again, he's been a sieve. He's been a terrible pass protector all year long. He gets a penalty or two a game. Um, he's almost got Mac Jones killed a couple of times. And, he's become a total liability. So anything more than a second tackle for him, you cannot count on that guy. And if you do count on him as your second tackle, you better be sure you have a really good third tackle. You're totally right. He, he has been a huge disappointment. Yeah. Huge, huge disappointment. And it's, it's, it's really sad because uh, in his first stint with us, he was arguably one of the best offensive linemen in the league. Um, instrumental in us winning a Super Bowl. And this time around, um, you know, it's it's just been the complete, complete opposite. I it, it it's been super tough to watch. And I mean, I, you know, we've seen it. Um, we've seen him personally kill drives and make bad plays and bad penalties. But again, it, just another another example um, this past weekend. One of many things that went wrong for this Patriots team in a very winnable game. Okay. Let's go to the next big mistake that put them in this situation. Okay. I have to talk about red zone offense, right? Because red zone offense has been an issue for this team the whole season. They just have no rhythm. They are always off. They run when they should pass. They pass when they should run. Justin, what an awful red zone series um, that they had in the second quarter where they settled for that field. goal, And that absolutely cost them coming down the stretch okay what are they doing even thinking about throwing the ball there you have first and goal at the one yard line you have Ramon J. Stevenson the Raiders have one of the worst run defenses in the National Football League why 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 do you not run the ball four times up the middle I, I couldn't answer I, I don't know why I don't know why you don't it it, it it just seems like this team does not like to do what makes sense. Like that's the only thing I can, I can think of. Like there's no reason in my mind why you don't. And then, and then, okay, they, they, they don't run and then they throw a really nice touchdown pass and they call an awful timeout. And it's just like, 
this team can't get out of their own way inside the red zone. It kills them. They move the ball at times. They settle for field goals every single time. They are the worst red zone team in professional football. Why is this team so bad in the red zone? I Well, look, I think it comes down to a couple things, right? If you ask me why they're so bad in the red zone, I'm going to give you the two big reasons that come to my mind. A, you don't have a go-to weapon in the red zone, right? You don't have that that big dominant line them up, draw up a play for them, um, receiver or tight end, right? The closest thing you got to that is Ramondre Stevenson. And, you know, you can't rely on on a running back in the red zone every time, right? And the second thing would be the play calling. They're super conservative. They're super predictable. Um, and it just seems like they're always calling the wrong play at the wrong time. So you don't have a playmaker yeah. and you don't call the right plays. I think that's why you're not uh, you're not efficient in the red zone. A- absolutely. And, and and that's those would be my two reasons as well. I mean, Patricia's play calling is atrocious. There's no go-to guy. I mean, they're going out there with with a bunch of nickels and everyone else has dollars. You know, I mean, really, like they, they don't have a dollar. They have they have they have they have 10 dimes. I mean, and, and in the red zone, I just feel like that doesn't work very well. I mean, this this has been bad. I mean, I, I really think, you know, you can look back at some of these losses and and they move the ball. They're putting themselves in position from the 30 to 30, the 20 to 20, and then they drive upfield and it just all falls apart. And, and as you alluded to, I mean, as much as they don't have a top target, I mean, the play calling is a huge part of the problem because Matt Patricia is just not a, a very good play caller and he has no rhythm whatsoever. This brings me to my last mistake, Justin, that I want to bring up about how they got in this mess. And that is a block punt again. Why is this team consistently having big special teams mistakes hurt them? It's been for two years now. And and is it time for them to think about changing their special teams coach? I don't know much about how to coach special teams, but I know this team has had an inordinate amount of bad negative plays in the kicking game for two years. And it was never like that before Cam Record. And then since, since Cam Record has gotten here, they've had all these problems. They make a huge investment of their salary cap on special teams players. They bring in guys just because they're good at special teams. They have a supposed Hall of Famer, Matthew Slater, in special teams play, a multi-time Pro Bowl player. And yet their special teams have really arguably cost them two games. I mean, if Minnesota and Vegas now, um, they've given up two returns for touchdowns in the last few weeks. Uh, or excuse me, a block punt and a return for touchdown in the last few weeks. Um, what's up with the special teams on this team? I I wish, I wish I knew, man. I wish I knew what was up with the special teams. And again, like you said, like I'm not a special teams coach. I'm not a special teams expert. I couldn't tell you what's wrong or what needs to be fixed or who is responsible but it just is so uncharacteristic. Like the Patriots, we always used to say they were a team that they treated special teams just as they, they put just as big of an emphasis on controlling and winning the special teams game as they did with offense and defense. They divided the game into thirds, offense, defense, special teams, and they worked on it and perfected it better than any other team for the last two decades up until these last few seasons. I don't, and, and that's the funny thing is like, you would think something like, you know, you could correlate it to Tom Brady, but, like, he should have zero impact in the special teams game. So it's like after Tom Brady leaves, special teams falls to crap. You know, we can say that it might be the new uh, the new coach, 
Um, but really, I, I, I don't know. I can't put my finger on it. I, I, I couldn't tell you what the issue is, but it's become a huge, huge issue down the stretch. When, uh, losing us more games than it's won us. And in the past, it's always won us way more games. So this kind of brings me to the segue here, to, to the next topic, which is, look, after that game Sunday night and after the block punt and everything, you know, and just the whole way it shook down, I think a lot of franchises would have would have fired someone on the coaching staff because clearly the coaching has been poor this year. It's been an issue. There's three weeks left in the season. There was gross incompetence last night, last week. There's been gross incompetence at other points in the year. You know, a lot of teams would, would let someone go if only to make a statement because the season effectively ended. Um, now we know four days later, the Patriots didn't do that, but um is it time for someone to go from the coaching staff, Justin? I mean, what, what's going to happen with this coaching staff next year? It's very obvious they're not going to fire any of these assistants this year. If they haven't got rid of Matt Patricia yet, and they haven't got rid of Camel Cord yet, they're not going to. So a lot of us are speculating now, assuming they don't make the playoffs this year, there's still an outside chance, but it's a long shot. What does the Patriots coaching staff look like in 2023? And what are the chances that Bill Belichick might not be here next year? I mean, look, you have to, you have to get rid of uh, Matt Patricia. You want to get rid of the special teams coach too. I'm down. I'm game for that. Um, I'm not ready to pull pull the plug on on Belichick yet like if you ask me is my doomsday clock ticking forward yes 100% it's moving forward are we at doomsday yet yet no um i i would need to see with the right coaching with the right pieces of the coaching staff in place another playmaker or two on offense another year of growth and development for for, for this young defense um I would I would need to see what happens, and then I'd be ready to call it for Bill. It's it's it, it's the problem right now. It's we know Bill isn't performing up to par, but there's too many uh, extraneous factors that are you know kind of clouding you know where all of the blame and the fault should should lie. So I think you still have to give Bill the benefit of the doubt if you you know when you start you start cleaning house. He's, I think, the last person to go, right? You get rid of Patricia. You get rid of, uh, I believe, in the Decord. You said the, the special teams guy. Um, and then you bring in another playmaker, and, and you go from there. Um, but this team needs an offensive coordinator badly. It, 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 and you know what? I've heard a lot of it. I've actually seen it like three different times today on three separate sources. Um, people complaining about Mac Jones's, you know, tantrums and his hissy fits and his his faces that he's making during the games and in the sidelines and it's starting to become noticeable and it's the distraction and it's like look like i get it i'm not a huge fan of of of, of the way he's acting either but isn't it a, just it's basically just a giant call for help like hey something is wrong something is not right you know i trust if mac if mac can start for the new england patriots in the nfl then i trust him to know whether things are not um, 
not the way they the way they should be within the locker room, within the play calling, within the within the coach's room. Um, so the, the, something needs to change, and I think it starts definitely with Matt Patricia. I still think Belichick is there next year. I would be absolutely shocked and appalled if if Patricia's there next year. If Patricia is the offensive coordinator to start the season, um, my that doomsday clock is going to hit damn near midnight. So I, you know, it's it, it, it's just a weird situation. It's not going to happen, Justin. There there was a report this week that there's the possibility that this whole thing might just come back next year as is. And and I, I, I don't know where that report, it was an anonymous report came from, that the Patriots and some people in the organization just want to run this whole thing back exactly as it was. It's never going to happen because Robert Kraft is not going to let it happen. If it was up to me, my world, what I would like to see, I would like to see Belichick back for one one more year at least, okay, with a real offensive coordinator and 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 a real coaching staff around him because because I feel like clearly that's been the issue. But but what's going to happen if Belichick is insistent? We've talked about this before on running it back with Maddie P. Robert Kraft will not let that happen. And at some point, you have to ask yourself how long are you going to continue to put your eggs in the basket of a 71 year old head coach? He's a great coach still in some ways. I think the game is passing him by in other ways. I don't think his methods in many areas are as effective as they, as they, as they used to be because I, I, I was always a Belichick guy. And I think there was a time where a lot of the things he did that worked really well, worked really well for this franchise, but they don't work really well anymore based on the way the league has changed. How often are you going to, how long are you going to put your eggs in this guy's basket when he's going to retire at some point? At some point, this franchise is going to have to move on. Earlier in the year, Justin, back in the preseason, when the Patriots went down this Joe Judge, Matt, Patricia pathway, and none of us liked it, idiot fans that we are, media people that don't know what they're talking about, other executives in the league, everyone laughed at it. Everyone said it was stupid. And Belichick has so much credibility from what he's done over the years that we still had to kind of give him the benefit of the doubt. But remember what we said at the time. If this blows up into a disaster, it's a fireable offense. Belichick stuck his neck way, way out for this thing. And as bad as I imagined it could be back in the winter when they went down this road, to be honest with you, the reality of it is actually worse because they have totally destroyed and ruined Mac Jones, his psyche, his buy-in, his leadership, his, his ability to work with this franchise. They've ruined that worse than I would have ever imagined even possible after what we saw last year from this guy, Mac Jones, his kid. So, I mean, if it was a fireable offense, if it didn't work, it hasn't worked. Now, I don't think they're going to fire Belichick. I don't want them to fire Belichick. I want him back. But if it comes to, if it comes to me, okay, if I was making the decision, and Robert Kraft is not a weak man, okay? Robert Kraft is a nice man. 
He's a good man. He has a nice demeanor. The man has cojones the size of, of beach balls. Okay, you don't get where Robert Kraft is because you shirk away from making tough decisions. And if Belichick really digs his heels in on this Matt Patricia thing and wants to run it back, Robert Kraft is going to do what Robert Kraft needs to do to protect his investment. And I've heard no one mention this, but don't forget, Justin, the Patriots just put on like a $150 million addition to their stadium. And if you look at the prices of tickets for the game on Saturday, they're about as low as they've ever been in the last 30, 30 years, 30 years since the Bledsoe and Parcells era. So Kraft has a huge investment and don't think he's going to shirk away from making the tough decision. My guess, Belichick comes back next year with a new offensive coordinator. But, 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 but Belichick has lost the right this year to stick his neck out and do something totally crazy and bizarre. He's lost some of that credibility. I mean, for sure. You know, real quick, just to, just to comment on the whole age aspect of it. Um, look, there's, there's a coach right now that's older than Bill Belichick coaching in the NFL. Pete Carroll, former, former Patriots coach. Um, and he's arguably having one of his most impressive seasons as far as his coaching performance of his career. Um, you know, with taking guys like Geno Smith and a bunch of young players in that roster on, on, on the defense um, and on the offense too, and uh, potentially sending that team to the playoffs. Like they've overperformed in every area and won some tough games. Um, so it's not that the age it's it's not you know it's not like a de facto like you know the older you get the the worse you get but it just seems like he's hit this point or he meaning bill has like hit this point of complacency where it's no longer about um putting the best uh players out there putting the best coaches in the staff winning uh winning games winning the division winning super bowls like it seems like all of that is taking a taking a back seat, and I and I can't figure out to what or for what. Um, so it it's it's getting very very uh, very very weird watching um, you know Bill's Bill's method you know methods and you know how he operates, um, and it's very very weird to see that there's no changes that have been made to this point. But I mean, you're 100 percent right. I really hope that Robert Kraft steps in. And you know, takes Bill out for a nice steak in the off season. And says, "Hey, look, this is done, right? Like this, this clown show is done. We need, we need some star players, right? We need some, we we need the right coaches, and we need to win games because they have the basis of a of a good team. They have building blocks. They have good young talent, um, and they just continue to look like a franchise that's heading in the wrong direction. So I, I agree. I don't think the Crafts will sit by and let this continue inevitably. Um, but it does need to change immediately. And it's very frustrating that we're staring down the sights of another wasted season currently. Yeah, I mean, look, you're right. It's not about age in a vacuum. If, if, if Belichick's methods were still working and the Patriot way was was alive and well and this team looked like the team that we saw for 20 years then none of us would be <laughs> worried about the fact that he's turning 71 this offseason but my my only point in bringing up the age is is just like hey how, at some point he's going to move on and 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 if the performance isn't as as 
as good as it used to be and the, and, the, and certainly not commensurate with the $25 million salary you're paying the guy, you know, at, at some point you've got to cut the cord to the old dynasty and move on to the next thing. And, and if this guy really insists Belichick on, on bringing back Matt Patricia in this misplaced, this bizarre, and, and I think very much irrational misplaced faith that Belichick has in Matt Patricia. Um, to me, Kraft can and will step in and, and just and, and put his, his foot down on that because, Justin, the one thing I think we can all agree on, and, and again, you know, I'm not a football offensive coordinator. I've, been, I've watched a lot of football. I think I have a good rudimentary sense of the game. There is just something so off about this offense. I'm not expert enough to fully elucidate what it is. But, like, when you get the, like, the aroma from your layperson eyes, like, what you see, like, you, you know, you don't have to be a good, you don't have to be a doctor to understand and know when you get good medical care, right? You don't have to be an auto mechanic to know when, um, you know, you're getting a good repair on your car or something like that. You know what I mean? Like, you get a sense. There's something so dysfunctional and off about this offense and how it works. I've never seen anything like it. it is like watching a bad high school team. Am I not right? A hundred, a hundred percent. Um, you, no rhythm, no, no rhythm, no rhythm, no consistency, oh, no, no consistency. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's very, when they run. Say, sorry. Say that again. They run when they pass. They pass when they should run. There's like no structure to it. It's just like it all seems to happen in a vacuum. No, and 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 yeah. I mean, go go ahead. No, no, I was just gonna say like you're 100 percent right. Like you know, when I would watch like high school football, like you know when I was in when I was younger, like that was like the big thing was like oh another run play, another run play, okay another run play. Like they're afraid to. You know, take take a sixteen, seventeen year old kid and and open up the playbook and and put the game in his hands, and it's we're like we're seeing that exact exact same philosophy and that exact same like gameplay manifest itself with the Patriots. Like it just does not seem like they want to run an NFL offense. Like they think like they can somehow um, compete in today's NFL by being a ground and pound, run at the majority of the time. Um, you know, super conservative, dink and dunk. Uh, predictable offense and it's just blowing up in their face week in week out and, and justin we may not know like fans the media but the people that know like you're hearing the cracks you alluded to mac jones and kendrick Bourne. like these guys probably have an idea of what functional coaching is um how about um you know uh, mike lombardi how about mike lombardi who used to be a belichick toady in isabel and is in the belichick camp he used to work for this organization and we can end on this but you know he, he on his podcast said some really telling things about the Patriots offense last week, including this quote to me, when I watch the Patriots, this is Lombardi's quote to me, when I watch the Patriots, they don't have an offense. They just run a bunch of plays. And that is exactly Justin, what it feels like to me. It sounds like it feels like to you and to most of the fans and the people that watch this team. So this is not something that you can go into another season and expect it to develop. So, um, it's been that bad, and, and there's no reasonable way that I think you could, you could say 
we can run this back and, and, and we'll figure this out in 2023 with a few tweaks here and there. It, it, it's, it's not that. This is one of the worst offenses in the league, one of the worst offenses I've ever seen. Um, and just to really, you look at some of the pieces. Last year, they were a top 10 offense with many of the same places and a rookie quarterback. And, and now they're literally 30th in the league. And the only thing that really changed was was the offensive coordinator. So, um, look, when, when you take chicken salad and you turn it into chicken crap and you're the chef, that 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 really has to fall fall back to you. And, and that's exactly where Matt Patricia is right now. Let's talk about the quarterback, Justin, because bef- before we move on, we, we got to talk about Mac Jones. And I've been as big a supporter of Mac Jones as anyone. I had super high expectations for him this year. I'm super disappointed in what he's done this year. And I, I, I'm on record as saying, and I don't necessarily back away from that. It's really hard to make a fair evaluation of Mac Jones based on the circumstances this year, because it is that big of a fiasco with the coaching and, and some of the other players around him. And there's just nothing. The receivers still suck. The line's terrible. It's hard to get a clear picture of what Mac Jones is. But I got to also say that one of my rules of football is that a great quarterback trumps all. And with each passing week, and we're just seeing less and less from this offense and from this player, I'm starting to have doubts about Mac Jones. Now, I, I want him back. I think he deserved deserves another year but what what's happening here is very similar to what happened to the new york giants last year where you are bringing mac jones back not because you're excited about his development or because you think he has a realistic chance to develop into a franchise quarterback but because you almost owe it to him because it was such a debacle because you know there's no one better because you haven't won a great contract but you don't really believe in the guy. You don't really, you think it's a, maybe, maybe Daniel Jones had like a 10% chance or 20% chance that he was going to develop this year into a legit quarterback. And he really hasn't. That, that's kind of what it's going to be like with Mac Jones. They're going to bring him back. They should bring him back. I'd like to see him have a, a crack with a real, real offensive coordinator and, and a real offensive line. And, God forbid, maybe a legitimate NFL receiver or two, because I still don't know if they even have any, to be perfectly honest with you, on this team. The receivers suck. But but all that said, you know, I'm not – I'm getting less and less excited about year three of Mac Jones and bringing this guy back. And, and I, I think the the probability that this guy is going to – is a franchise quarterback, I think is, is getting less and less the more we see. Yeah. Um, I mean, you know, we, I, I've expressed my doubts about Mac Jones, right. Um, you know, I've, I've said that, uh, kind of what you alluded to, right. With the, by saying a good quarterback, Trump's all, you know, I've said that, look, he definitely has factors that are weighing down on him and hindering his growth and performance. Right. We talked about it ad nauseum. We've been talking about it, the coaches, um, the play calling, the personnel around him. But what you hit on is something we've said in the past, which I think is very important. And that's the fact that you can still see the potential 
for a good franchise quarterback when all of those things go wrong because a good quarterback will still find ways to make plays here and there, win games here and there against the odds, right? Even It almost just seems like even like law of averages, like even an average quarterback will find ways to do that um, every now and then. I've not seen Mac Jones come out and have a staple game, even against a crappy team, where we can say, all right, that was Mac saying, hey, I know I don't have the best weapons. I know my play calling sucks, but I'm coming out and I'm putting on a dominant performance and I'm winning this game for my team. I'm putting the team on my back, okay? We have not seen him do that even once. I mean, his best performance of the season, and like you said, maybe potentially his career, was a loss um, to, the, to the Vikings a few weeks ago. So I need to see some games, even some drives, that make me think, okay, if they were to get a new offensive coordinator, if they were to put another weapon or two around him, that this is a guy that's ready to lead a high-powered offense. And we have not seen anything that shows us that he's capable of doing that, in my, in my personal yeah. opinion. Yeah, I mean, here's what really worries me about Mac Jones right now, Justin. And, like, you hear people talk about his arm strength, and I don't get it because I think the guy is actually a pretty good arm. And, and, and you look at that, that, that shoot he made to Jacoby Myers against the Raiders um, on Sunday. That, that was a big league throw. And, and we've seen some really great throws from him at different times. The, the problem is not his arm. The problem is in between his ears. It's his head. It's the way he handles adversity. It's the way he 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 can carries himself at the end of games. It just feels like go back to his first game against Miami. And it's not always directly on him, right? But there's just some players that have that kind of alien energy that everything just kind of like goes wrong for them and they somehow find a way to lose. They're just people in life and players like that is Mac Jones kind of a loser, Justin. Like, you know, some people just don't win. No, some, some people don't in, I, I look, the guy has enough against him that I can't say definitively that he's a loser. I can't say definitively. He's not the guy, but the doubts are definitely there. The writing is starting to appear on the wall. And his own personal, Mac Jones' own personal doomsday clock as far as being not only the quarterback of the Patriots, but uh, an, an NFL starting quarterback in general is certainly starting to move forward and tick, tick, tick. Um, so if he, he finishes the last three games in similar fashion to the way he's played the entirety of the rest of the season, Justin, what are you going to do with this guy? Are you going to bring in another quarterback? You know, I mean, they're in a tough spot. Again, it's very similar with the Giants and Daniel Jones went went through last year. Now, other side of the coin, right? Tua Tagliavoloa was pretty mediocre in his first two years, and, and he's an MVP candidate this year, or he was until a few weeks ago, because they surrounded him with terrific talent. I just think that, like you said, if he do I think do I think it's set in stone? Do I want to say Mac Jones is a loser? Like like I I might say you know I don't know there there are various players 
that just don't feel like can win games. Mitch Trubisky, you know, no, I'm not ready to say that yet, but, but I'm worried. I'm worried about this guy because it just feels like one way or the other, the team that he's the quarterback of really, I mean, take the college out of it because you know, you're playing varsity versus JV 99% of the time. It just seems like this, the team finds a way to lose. And, and maybe, maybe there's something to that. I don't know. Yeah, they do. They, they find a way to lose. Um, you know, look, I'm 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 just gonna say it, and I know you have your doubts, but I would really, if if we do have to move on from Mac, or if they're, you know, maybe even even to be completely honest, like if we were to go out and lose against like the Cincinnati Bengals this weekend, because what we have what three week three games left, right? Bengals, Dolphins, and Bills, correct? Yep. Okay. If you go out and you lose to Cincinnati this weekend. And you're now like two games out of the out, out out of the the seven seed in the wild card, and you have to go beat um, both Detroit. I mean, I'm sorry, not Detroit. Both uh, Miami and Buffalo uh, on the road, right? It. I kind of want to see what Bailey Zappi has again against a good team, against a good defense. Like, I think he showed. I'm not saying that I'm convinced Zappi's the next franchise quarterback. I'm not saying he's all that. But I think he showed enough on short notice with the same external factors that Mac has been dealing with, the players, the coaches, et cetera. And he showed enough to me that he at least deserves a chance. And I would rather that chance come the last two games of this year where we know it's kind of, hey, we're not playing for December anymore, January anymore. Um, and, I, and, and we have a better picture going into next year because the last thing I want to happen is now we go into next year. We figure out that Mac Jones is not the guy. And now we're in the Bailey Zappi experiment. And if that experiment goes wrong, then we're looking at another wasted year, another down year for the Patriots. And we still are no closer to finding our franchise quarterback. So I would be, I don't don't even consider Bailey Zappi a realistic thing like i just don't see it you know i i I think it's so unlikely like if mac's not the guy you're gonna have to go out and find the next guy at the top of the draft with a first round pick or make a move in free agency for one of the free agent guys available i don't think zappy i mean i think he's a long shot to be honest with you i would for the exact reason you just said that's why i think they have to stick with mac jones in my opinion because i need to see from Mac something in these last three games, win or lose that gives me any faith and confidence that you can go into him in 2020 as your start, go into 2023 with him as your starter and be confident that, that he can develop. Because I think right now there's a ton of doubt around that. And you know, Justin, if it was me, okay, I think they need to eliminate the Matt Patricia offense. Okay. Let Mac throw the ball throw the ball downfield, call the plays, run a no huddle, okay, open things up, get away from this high school JV crap offense that just hasn't worked, plain and simple, hasn't worked, and it hadn't worked last year that well, and it didn't work the year before with Cam Newton. Okay, get rid of it, okay, and let Mac just do his thing. And if he throws seven, eight interceptions and three touchdowns, that's information that's valuable for you. But 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 I think you need to to, to give him answers to get answers 
and you can't, you haven't been able to get them because part of the problem is they play with a restraining bolt on this kid. They were, they don't let him really do much, you know, and, and they hit a play downfield for a pass. How many times do they do that two times in a row? Usually the first thing they do after they hit a nice pass play is what? Run it up the, middle. Right up the middle. That's why they can't that's why they can't string drives together because they'll hit a big play in the basket. We'll get a 25-yard pass or something to someone. And then they, before you know it, it's third and eleven. They run up the middle once, they run a screen pass that doesn't work. Next thing you know, I mean that's the classic Patriots drive where they take a penalty and it's third and twelve, just like that. So let this guy out, let him out of the beat, let the beast out of the cage and let him sink or swim. Like stop trying to protect him and and see what you got because you know, if you don't have, you got you gotta have to find the next guy, and that's a huge setback to this franchise, by the way. So, so I hope that 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 you get and look, there is still the possibility, right? You go out and win these last three games, Mac Jones, and, and this team wins these last three games. Hey, that's redemption. Get into the playoffs. That's redemption. Not, I mean, that's pretty much the only way that we're going to feel good about this team going into 2023, right? Go beat three of the better teams in the league in back-to-back weeks, look good doing it, and, and, and sneak into the playoffs. Other than that, I mean, we're all going to have doubts. Yeah, I, I, exactly. I, I think you, you kind of nailed it there, right? Like, the only way I'd feel good is if we – not only – like, I think you have to win all three to make the play – to have any chance of making the playoffs. If you go, like, two and one – and lose that last game, but you know, just by a hair, I may still, you know, say I feel better. Um, but I think he really has, uh, and again, partly due to factors like factors beyond his control, he really has set himself up in a tough situation where he's now fighting an uphill battle. I think when you know, coming out of college as a rookie, going into last year, he came in on a level playing field. Nobody knew what to expect from him. Nobody really, you know, nobody really kind of knew what they were getting. He had a good rookie year, okay? He then set the expectations that much higher for himself coming into his sophomore year. After what we've seen him do to this point in the season, he has dug himself, I think, even past the point he started as a rookie. Because now he's coming from the, he's he's fighting for, for his job from the standpoint of, not even from neutral. He's, he's, he's coming for his fighting for his job from the standpoint of I have now uh, I, I now need to prove that uh, that I have what it takes to to be a starting quarterback. And yes, he had to do that his rookie year. But I think coming into his rookie year, we said, OK, well, he's a rookie. So, you know, you can't base everything on what you see his rookie year. Now, but, but to your point, Justin, and it, it bears mentioning, like you said, he was a good quarterback last year, above average quarterback. Like if he hasn't been anywhere near average this year like if he was average we'd be feeling like oh you know it's a circumstance he has been the worst quarterback in the nfl through call it what it is i mean this has been terrible it's not just been average it's been terrible and i guess you know my my opening point my opening take is like when you're that bad you're that bad how much can you possibly put on the circuit you know what i mean at some point that doesn't it have to be a little bit of the quarterback responsible too? I mean, when it's that bad, you can't explain it all by circumstances, can you? No, that that's exactly it. You can you can say that the circumstances aren't helping, but there has to be some sort of blame that lies with Mac himself, and he's doing nothing to help his cause right now. It's getting harder and harder for those of us that are Mac proponents like myself to just say 
It's the circumstances and point the finger at Patricia and point the finger at the receivers and point the finger at the line. All true, by the way. They all suck. They all suck. The line is terrible. These receivers suck. I mean, don't get me started on Nelson Aguiar. He's awful. Um, What a waste of money and a horrible personal move. It, It still has to come back to him a little. What about his demeanor? Quickly talk about, I want to talk quickly about just his, his demeanor. You alluded to it a few minutes ago, but again, like at first I didn't have a problem with it because look, the guy's a competitor. Matt Patricia's a freaking clown show with a history of personality conflicts with his players. Like this is not Matt Patricia's first time that a player has been totally disenfranchised with him because he's, I think he's such a yachts, frankly, but at the same time, you know, when I hear Vince Wilfork and Julian Edelman kind of calling out Mac. It does kind of make me a little nervous. And I, I think of, like we talk about, always kind of coming up, losing end, you know, one score short of the comeback. Sometimes it's not his fault, but you're always losing these close games and not making those plays in the second half. Makes me a little nervous. Really does about, about, about the demeanor and, and what we're seeing from him this year. Um, what's your take on Max? Very vocal, very outward expressions of frustration with this offense. I think there, I think it's kind of a twofold thing, right? I think his frustrations and his outbursts are warranted, but not needed, right? Like he definitely has every right to be as frustrated as he is, um, to be upset about, you know, everything that's going on around him, but a true leader a franchise quarterback, a mature NFL player, someone who is expected to lead a locker room of alpha men does not cry and whine and bitch at every little thing that doesn't go his way. And that's what we're starting to see from Mac. It's starting to almost become a meme, like an internet meme of him, you know, throwing a little tantrum or yelling at the co- at the sideline or making a face after a play. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of torn about it, to be honest with you, because at first I was like, you know what? I don't blame him one bit. Patricia's the clown and, and, and he's frustrated. He has every right to be frustrated. But like, as it goes on and just hearing some of the voices that have come out and expressed concern, you know, it does make me nervous. It, it, it does. I mean, it does make me wonder, wonder if there's something, you know, a little off about the attitude and what does he do for the last three games? Should, should Max just shut up and keep it together and keep it poised and composed no matter what and go out there and do his job because that's what I would tell him to do for the last three games at this point. He's made his point, right? Like it's time to focus and just, it just go to work. Yeah. I mean, look, I, there's enough people like it's very obvious, right? That we talked about his lack of weapons and the bad play calling and coaching, right? Those, those things are obvious to everybody. Patriots fans, people around the league, the teammates, right? Now you can now you have to control what you can control. Okay? You can control your your demeanor, your outbursts, right? Your your emotions. You can control those things. You can control to an extent, I know that the play calling and the coaching factors into it, but you can control to an extent your individual performance. And so just like you said, if you're Mac, it's time for the last three games to 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 control what you can control. Go out there, show that you're have the demeanor of a leader. Okay, be be that be that positive impact on and off the field. Keep your mouth shut when things aren't going your way. Okay, and go out and make some plays 
that make people say, all right, well, geez, we just got to get rid of friggin' Patricia, and this is our guy. Do that, and then it will be a completely different story. Absolutely, absolutely, 100%. I mean, the the time is is over. It's it's time to focus. And, you know, Justin, after everything that's happened, if if this team can rally and and finish strong, that's going to go a long way towards – towards getting the ship right and that opportunity is still there but 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 it, i think i think the window closes this week if they if they come out and lose the, the Bengals this week which they probably will um you know th- then i then i think you're in full-on duck and cover mode for the rest of the year for everyone and then there'll be big fallout this offseason all right justin let's wrap up the talk about the patriots and let's um let's move around uh to some of the uh things around the league the um the team in the nfl with the most pressure right now, Justin, I thought about this a little over the week because we're getting to the time of year where the stakes are, are tuning up. And it struck me that there is one team, I think um, that has paradoxically put a ton of pressure on themselves, um, you know, over the last few weeks. And I'm curious to see who you think is the team in the NFL and the most pressure on them. And if you agree with me, so Justin off the top of your head, which team in the NFL has the most pressure on them right now? Which team has the most pressure on them right now? Well, you know, I think it's uh, – there's four teams that, that come to mind, right? And I know I'm kind of casting a wide net, but I would say – and I, I'd be surprised if it's not one of these four teams. I would say you have to look at Philadelphia, you have to look at Tampa Bay, you have to look at Dallas, and you have to look at the Buffalo Bills. Those are the four teams that I think have put the most pressure on themselves. My, mine was Philadelphia. Okay. Was yeah. And in a funny way, I actually think the Jalen Hurts injury is, is actually going to help in that light because, like, it just felt like we've all been waiting for Philadelphia to fall apart or take a step back at some point. And lo and behold, they're 13 and 1. Um, they, they're the best team in the league, and Jalen Hurts has been the MVP to this point. I almost wonder if a silver lining to the cloud of his injury this week and probably not playing in Dallas is that it's going to take a lot of that crescendo, that pressure has been building up and let it sort of release. They go and they lose in Dallas with a backup quarterback this week. In a way, I think that might be a, a, a good thing for them um, in terms of just keeping a little bit of that, that pressure, that focus off of them uh, in the playoffs. So, look, I'll tell you what. I actually um, am still pretty high on the Eagles this week in Dallas with the backup quarterback. Um, I think – Well, Gardner – Quarterback. Gardner Minshew is – he's a borderline NFL starter, and if he's not a starter, he's one of the best backups in the league, period, right? Um, The Broncos have a few injuries that they're trying to deal with themselves, right, relating to that offensive line. Um, and that in, in, in that defense, right, trying to trying to trying to get themselves healthy for the playoffs, um, they're coming off a bad loss to Jacksonville last week, right? Um, and if you're the Eagles, you know that is a that is a roster from top to bottom that is built to win a Super Bowl. And if my quarterback went down, and now everybody's talking about, oh, well, now there goes the good, there goes the game in Dallas. You know, oh, we were all looking forward to this game, game of the week, and there you go, Jalen Hurts goes down. Let's see what happens now. That would be a huge rallying point for the rest of for for the rest of that roster to come together and say, "Hey, we got a, a starting caliber quarterback 
leading us into battle on Sunday uh, or Saturday, whichever one the game is. Um, and we're going to go out there and we're going to win on the road against all odds. We're going to show people why we're 13-1. and one. It's not just because of Jalen Hurts. Um, so I, I actually I like this Philadelphia team uh, this weekend. And, uh, you know, I think it's a good example for them to go out there and show why they're the favorite, show why they have all this pressure on their shoulders. Uh, and that's because they are way deeper and way better than just their MVP uh, candidate quarterback. Uh, certainly, Justin, if 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 they do go out and they beat Dallas this week with a backup quarterback on the road, I mean, then I, I think that th- that would clearly show that that you know they are truly truly legit. And and I, I still and I know they're thirteen and one, and you might disagree with me. Um, I still think the Buffalo Bills are the best team in the league. I, I just think they had a little rough patch mid season, and I think they're getting hot when it counts. And you know, I'd probably take them over Philadelphia at a neutral site right now. Um, look, if Philadelphia goes and wins with a backup quarterback, that says a lot about them. Yeah, it does. I mean, look, if you're Philly, you know, the way I look at this, um, and I know the coach has alluded to, I, I think his, his quote was even up, Jalen Hurts, is, uh, his body is different than ours. Like, it, it, it heals quickly. It heals differently, whatever he said. Um here's 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 the way i kind of look at it you to this point have been the most dominant team in the nfl okay you have a quarterback who has an ac uh joint sprain in his throwing arm all right i want to see as an nfl fan i want to see this team at full strength for the playoffs okay you already know you have the bye week you have the division uh not necessarily. I don't think they have the division clinched, but I do think that uh, that this team is good enough that if they can just get into the playoffs healthy, they should be in good shape. I don't want to see them rush Jalen Hurts back too soon. I don't want to see them head into the playoffs um, with him still carry, you know, him still carrying on from a lingering injury, um, and then people can say, "Oh, well, this Eagles team isn't at full strength." You know, just as a fan of the game. Even if that means he has to sit out these last three weeks of the season, I want to see a full-strength Philadelphia team when the playoffs start. Justin, is Tom Brady done? Is, is his career over? Like, there are a lot of factors in, in Tampa Bay that have made, um, you know, not the best year for them. And, and their offense is actually very reminiscent of the Patriots with some issues they have. But... Um, is Tom Brady finished? Is is, his, is Tom Brady part of the problem? And what do you think? I'm I mean I'm assuming Brady's not going to be back in Tampa Bay next year um, because it's really not a good situation. His contract's up. Clearly, it looks like he's on his way out of there. But is what's Brady's market? What's his viability? What's his what's the desirability going to be like for a 46 year old Tom Brady based on the year that he's currently having? Well, here's the thing. He hasn't had an awful year. It hasn't been a vintage Tom Brady year, but it has, hasn't been awful by any means. And he's another guy that, you, you know, you look at and you say, okay, well, his weapons have not been healthy all season. He's had trouble with his running backs, trouble with his receivers. Um, he's got a new coach. He has had, you know, just – absolute nightmares with the offensive line and he still put up not in 
a, a great season, but uh, but I would say uh, a decent season for a starting NFL quarterback. I don't think that there is a huge, huge decline. I think that he still has another year or two left if he stays healthy. At this point, I'm not going to be the one that uh, that doubts him and puts all my eggs in the the, the Tom Brady falling off the the, the cliff. Um, Justin, we talk about the great quarterback rule and a great yeah. quarterback from. When have we ever seen Tom Brady at at, at six and eight? When, when have we ever even some of the awful teams that that this this team had with Rache Caldwell and you know he always got them to the playoffs. Um, you know, no matter who they threw out there with Tom Brady, when have we ever seen this guy at sub five hundred? And I do think you know statistically you're right. This hasn't been his worst year statistically, but clearly you watch him play. He's missing throws that he usually sticks. He's a little bit a part of the problem. Do I think he's as bad as it's looked at times? No, but I don't think he's quite the same player that he was. He's 46 years old, almost 45, going on 46. I think the decline is happening. I really do. Um, That doesn't mean someone won't take him next year. Someone's going to take him. The team I find interesting is, you know, he wanted to go to Miami I don't know if Miami moves on from Tua for him anymore. You know, San Francisco, another one. You know, he he might not have the pick of the teams that that that, that he thought he was going to have based on what's happened this year. For sure. So look, here's 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 one more thing I'll say though about uh, Tom this year, and that's I can still, even at six and eight, he is. More he he has been responsible single handedly for more wins than he has losses. Like this Buccaneers team, without like like we could look at the Patriots and say, okay, like if you replaced Mac Jones with in in another average starting NFL quarterback, let's say like a like a Kirk Cousins, right? If you put Kirk Cousins on the Patriots, I think the Patriots this year currently would be like I don't know, they're they're they're, they're seven seven right now. I think they'd be like maybe nine and five right potentially like a like a 10 and 14 if if you have Kirk Cousins at the helm Tom Brady in the other hand if you put Kirk Cousins on the Buccaneers I think they would go from like six and eight to like five and nine four and ten like Tom has still uh come up huge in a couple of their victories this year and in the losses you know he hasn't been awful um and I, I just point to again you know he's got He's got he's had a ton of trouble with his receivers this year, staying healthy and staying in the field, and that could lead to timing issues, um, not being synced up, not understanding the playbook, which may appear you know may, may look like Tom is is missing throws or being inaccurate. He's had a lot of trouble with the offensive line. The ball, may, you know, he's, so he's delivering balls under pressure more. The ball's got to come out a little quicker, and I know he's very good at releasing the ball quickly, but still, just little factors that maybe uh, you know. It, skew the viewer's perception of, of, of the way Tom Brady's been playing. So I still think he's, he's st- you know, still performing at the level where he's responsible for more wins than he has losses. And I'll take that from a starting quarterback. As far as where he could go next year, I think you're right. I think Tua has proved that he should stick around in Miami. I think he deserves it. Um, I really like this Brock Purdy kid over in San Francisco, right? You got a tough decision to make. Do you turn the keys over to him next year if he continues to play well the the rest of the season into the playoffs? You know, that story is still yet to be written, a lot to be determined, depending on how the the season ends for the 49ers. But 
I still think San Francisco is not a bad landing spot. Even if Brock Purdy does have a strong finish to the end of the year, I'd love to say, hey, I'm going into next year with Tom Brady as my starting quarterback, and I got a great young backup ready to take over if he goes down or the year after. You know what I mean? Like I, So I, I don't hate San Francisco still. I think Miami's probably out of the question. You know, trying to think of some other teams that could use a rental quarterback for a year or two that are maybe like a quarterback away from winning. Um, you know, I, that, that's tough. I, I think maybe like, uh, like a Pittsburgh potentially comes to mind. Um, you know, Indy potentially comes to mind. Um, you know, it's tough. His landing spots are definitely going to be tougher than we thought they were. Yeah. I mean, look, I think the options are less. The one thing I'll say, and I've said it before, I'll say it again. He made a huge mistake by not retiring last year. Last year, I'm not saying he doesn't have anything left in the tank. He obviously does. I'm not saying he can't win next year, even if he's in decline. He obviously can't. He's still a good quarterback. He had the perfect storybook ending. Um, Losing that game to the Rams last year in the playoffs with the big comeback where he came up just short, won the Super Bowl in his first year. and And short of winning the Super Bowl in his second year, that was like the perfect way for Brady to end his career. A comeback against all odds he availed himself so well in that rams game um made an amazing rally and fell just short as always was a warrior right it was the perfect ending and he blew it to come back for this awful season now he's going to be reeling you know picking from potentially bottom of the barrel scraps which team's going to take him some of the teams that we thought might want him will not want him next year um i think anymore I, I really feel like he 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 is going to regret, you know, not retiring. I think if, if I was advising him, I'd tell Tom, retire, give it up, give it up. It's time to move on. Yeah. Um, well, I, we wrap, oh. I was just gonna say, look, I think I think for him, maybe he did make the wrong choice by not retiring. Right. In fact, it's probably looking more, you know, more so by the day that he should have retired. But I think he's right. kind of made his bed. And now he has to lay in it, right? Like it's kind of for him the worst case scenario. You gave up your family, you you know, effectively you gave up your family. You came out of retirement. You drew a bunch of attention and publicity to yourself. Um, you you have to. Well, that's where, that's where I disagree with you a little. Like if you're gonna look at the silver linings of all this, it's that he got rid of that dragon Giselle. Like if if, <laughs> if that's what it had to take to get rid of her, like oh my god, she is just wretched wretched in every way and i feel so sorry for him that he's stuck with her um in in some way as a part of her life because that's the mother of his children but i mean you know he if he got rid of her you know that that's the positive for him oh definitely i mean look i i was one of those people even 10 years ago i never understood the whole giselle obsession i mean i'm sure you know she's comparatively yes she's like you know she's a beautiful lady but like I've never thought she was like, you know, a top model or the hottest girl I've ever seen or, you know, even just anything like that, like, you know, makes you go, whoa, like she is to me like fairly average. And so, I, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm happy for Tom Brady moving on from that situation. Obviously, it, you know, it sucks going through a divorce. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely think he's, he's probably in a better spot um, relationship wise, you know, at now or, or into the future. But I mean, look, I, like I, I think he... He's a competitor. 
And I almost think he looks at it as, well, if he retires and goes out a loser after this year, um, that he, like, lets Giselle win. Like, to be completely honest, like, that would be my, my mindset if my ex-wife, you know, left me because I didn't step away from the game. Um, and then she leaves me and I step away from the game on a low note. She wins. She wins big time. And we know Tom Brady, if he's anything, he's a competitor. So I don't know. I, I think he, he we already know he's coming back for one year. I think he's going to push the envelope. I think he's going to train his ass off this offseason. I think he's going to come back in 2023 with a vengeance. I think he's going to retire. <laughs> All right, listen, let's one more thing. Then we're going to wrap it up. I have to ask you about your talented loser, Trevor Lawrence, because talented loser is showing some real signs of of showing that he can at least play a little in this league. It doesn't mean, by the way, that he's not a talented loser. Matt Ryan had some terrific years, won an MVP. You know, he's in the talented loser category. Derek Carr's made several Pro Bowls. He's a talented loser. So just because Trevor is having a moment here and there doesn't mean he's not a talented loser. So you don't have to back down from your take, but I can't wait to ask you, what are your thoughts on Trevor Lawrence? Because the Jacksonville Jaguars are probably going to win that division out of nowhere this year. Yeah, crazy. So, well, look, first off, the the three the three talented losers, I didn't quite – I didn't officially place Trevor Lawrence in that category yet. For right now, it's still Derek Carr, Matt Ryan, and, and um, Carson Wentz, right? So it's it's those three. I've, I have said that Trevor Lawrence is very quickly approaching that category along with a couple other quarterbacks. He is currently proving me wrong right now. He's having a uh, a good stretch of games. He's actually, I saw since like week nine or something like that, he's got like the highest um, completion percentage in the NFL. His team's winning games. They look like they could sneak their way into the playoffs and win that division. Um, I love their head coach. I think, I, I think Doug Peterson was a phenomenal hire. Like that team went from in the, ex- the lowest of lows with Urban Meyer to like the highest of highs now with, with, with Doug Peterson. Um, and Trevor Lawrence is playing well. I have to give credit where it's due. The Jaguars still on a week, weekend and week out basis. I, Dennis, I'm not, I'm not joking. I don't think I've been right on them a single time this year. Whether I pick them to win or I pick them yep. to lose, they are, they continue, continue, continue to bite me in the ass. So I've, I, I'm staying clear of them. Um, I'm just gonna enjoy them from a fan's perspective and say, hey, this is a very interesting team to watch. Um, and I'm not going to have anything riding on them. But I do think that Trevor Lawrence is potentially turning a corner. And we've said that about a lot of players, a lot of quarterbacks. And, you know, it's it's only a few games. And uh, there's still, you know, that could change very quickly. I mean, even Derek Carr had an MVP caliber season, um, you know, one or two years. So verdict's not out yet but Trevor Lawrence definitely playing better the Jaguars definitely looking like a like a, like a potential threat in the AFC well, what's um, got, what's going to be profoundly annoying about Trevor Lawrence is that it, it's like a self-fulfilling prophecy thing he, he shows a few flashes that he can play and people are just going to go absolutely gaga right. and say he's the next franchise guy because you know because he was the number one pick and the golden boy and, and played at a big time college program I mean the reality is, as you alluded to, 
you know, he still has a ways to go. It's definitely showing a lot of promise. And I think there is a chance that he could be a good player. And I I, I don't want to take that away from him, but I also don't want to go overboard yet. I mean, look, when Andrew Luck went to Indianapolis, right. You can tell from day one, like he was the real deal. I mean, Lawrence, he's showing a few, a few flashes here and there. The team's playing well, they're winning well, but they are are actually a talented team. Um, Something we said last year, many times that, they're more talented than the Patriots. And I think that's only more so now. Um, but, 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 you know, um, he, he's, you can't take it away from him. He's, he's playing well and look, he's, he's, he's showing, he's not a total bust. He's showing that, you know, he, he, he can at least be viable in the league, whether he actually shakes the talented loser label or not. That's, that's still very much up in the air. I don't think you have to walk back from that take yet. I really don't No, yet. Um, and, 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 um, and I'm not in a rush to, so we'll, we'll, we'll see. Well, there you happens. go. Absolutely. I mean, he could, he could have a great final month of the year. And then, you know, a la Peyton Manning, his first six or seven years in the league, you get in the playoffs and get croaked in the playoffs. Right. And you'll be able to, to, to continue that on for the whole time and keep calling him a talented loser until he actually wins anything. Um, Justin, one, one, last, one last thing just to um, Ju- Justin Fields. Okay, another one that we were really down on going into this year. And, you know, <laughs> again, like, I know that he's showing flashes that he can play. The guy's a terrific runner. He gets hurt. He's already been hurt several times. Um, he's not really passing the ball all that well still. I know that's a little bit because of the team he's on. The Bears have only won three games. How pathetic does it make me feel that that three-win Bears team came into Foxborough on that Monday night and just absolutely clocked the Patriots? You know, that thought did cross my mind this week. Yeah, no, absolutely. It just makes you feel a little bit worse. Um that that Justin Fields, I think, has turned a potential corner in the sense that he's now proven to me that he's a not necessarily a franchise quarterback or a good franchise quarterback, um, but he's proved to me that he now has um, some viability. There's some potential there. Whereas before, he has to improve his passing. I mean, you right. look at Lamar Jackson; he's a terrific passer. He and Lamar Jackson right. is underrated. He's a terrific passer. You know, you, you cannot. Hurts. Yeah, same situation. Hurts, yeah. Terrific passer. Um, you know, the ball. The, I mean, Jalen Hurts, some of these balls he's throwing to A.J. Brown, these deep balls, these dimes, 50, 60 yards down the field. Um, you know, Fields is going to have to show th- that he can do that in order to win. Okay, last last thing, Justin. Um, Patriots, Bengals, this Saturday, Christmas Eve day. It's going to be 25 degrees. Yeah. As you know, Dr. Football has three small children. Um, should I go to this game? I mean, I mean, really, like I'm torn about whether I should go to this game. You know, I'm a diehard fan. Um, the weather's going to suck. Uh, it's, it's a holiday. Who made this schedule? Like if I could just have a minute for a tangent here, what a bag of trash the schedule was in a slap in the face to the fans of the Patriots. You have games on Thanksgiving, Christmas Eve and New Year's Day. Okay. You have two weeknight home night games and at one point in the season you have four consecutive night games one of them was flexed out who made this garbage schedule that the Patriots? i mean really talking about taking your fans for granted what a terrible schedule like i mean could it be less user-friendly now i have to decide whether i you know you know if i want to go to the patriots game it has to be on christmas um christmas eve day i don't know justin should i even bother going You know, it, it. It. I just can't help but think it's going to be another one of those close battles that the Bengals pull away with in 
beat us in the fourth quarter and we shoot ourselves in the foot and we make some stupid plays. Like, and maybe that's just like my recency bias, but that's just what I feel like happens. Like, I, I think it's going to be very tough uh, for the Patriots to slow down that offense. Like we've noted in the past, like the teams that give the Patriots the most trouble tend to be these high flying offenses with multiple weapons. Um, you know, especially where the Patriots don't have that singular number one lockdown cornerback. Right. And you're going up against not only Joe Burrow, who's proved that he is a franchise quarterback and one of the better quarterbacks in the league. Um, but he's got a three headed monster on that offense. Right. He's got Jamar Chase, T Higgins and Tyler Boyd. Tyler Boyd's the third receiver. He'd probably be a starting one or two on 28 other teams in the NFL. Uh, not to mention Joe Mixon in the backfield, like in, in, in an offensive line that's really come together. So I see them giving Patriots trouble. You know, I, I, I'm sure the Patriots are going to do everything they can in the cold weather to slow down the game, keep the ball out of Burrow's hands as much as possible, limit the try, try to limit the number of possessions for the Bengals. But at the end of the day, I just don't see how they're able to slow this offense down, especially, you know, coming into the game healthy. Um, you know, and I think the Bengals are going to beat us, quite frankly. Now, it's just a matter of do you think you'd enjoy seeing that, <laughs> I think. so. Well, well- – Here's the thing. Like, I have a weird feeling that the Patriots are going to win on on Saturday. Call me nuts, but I just think, like, look, it's gut check time. And these guys, professional athletes, they have a lot of pride. Um, The Patriots' problem is not talent. I mean, we don't probably say that enough. Like, I think coaching for them has been a much bigger problem than talent. I mean, I think there are holes on this team, offensive line, lack of skill position talent. Fine. Um, I think I think I I just have this weird feeling they're going to put it all together and they're going to be able to play their game. I think the freezing cold weather is a big break for them. Not that Cincinnati's a warm weather team because they aren't. Um, but but I just think it maybe maybe helps a little bit. Um, I have a weird feeling they're going to play well on Sunday. I just think the whole world is against them. The NFL. If we've learned one thing about it, it's that it's unpredictable. And 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 oh by the way, that line Patriots are three and a half point underdogs they should be seven point underdogs in this right. game. So that, that makes me feel like the eye in the sky, you know, generally when a line is that far off, it's because the man in Vegas knows, you know, that the wise guys, they know that something is up. I feel like the Patriots are going to, are going to have a legitimate chance to win this game. Um, maybe, maybe that's crazy. Maybe that's me being a hopeless fanboy. Um, I hope, if I'm the Patriots, I, I, I open it up. I, I let Mac throw the ball. I, I live with that. You know, I, I stopped playing so conservative. I, I stopped playing the short game. I play like they played against the Vikings, and, and, and I sink or swim on that. Um, maybe that's crazy. But, you know, the end of the day, Justin, this is a opportunity for this team to salvage its season and salvage some credibility um, and, and prove that they are headed in the right direction. And right now, it's a long shot. It's a, it's a desperation shot. It's a Hail Mary, if you will. Um, but, but the only way they can really do that at this point, based on what's happened in this really choppy 2022 season is go out and win these last three games. Um, do I think they'll do it? No, I don't, but, but, but I think that opportunity is still there. So I don't know if I'm going to go to the game or not, but, but that's what's luring me in. Yeah. I mean, look, I, I, I hope they do. I hope you're right. Um, and look, you know, like you said, anything could happen in football there, there isn't a 0% chance they go out and win these next three games. Right. So, uh, yeah, there's a 1% chance. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, hey, <laughs> and it's like that line from Dumb and Dumber, right? So you're telling me right. there's a chance. So, you know, hey, there's a chance. Exactly. Exactly. 
And well, I'll, I'll, I'll let y'all know what I do next week. But if that's it, I'm gonna wrap it up, man, and move on to the holidays. I'm super excited for Christmas. My everyone is in my house. I think in your house too. I want to wish everyone a happy Hanukkah, a happy holidays. And to those that celebrate, a very, very, very Merry Christmas. Justin, you have any final thoughts? Uh, no, yeah, just same thing. Happy holidays. Hope everyone enjoys the uh, the time off and the holidays with their family, whatever that is that you celebrate. And uh, we hope that we catch you next week on a brighter note because if the Patriots lose, it, the season is definitely done for them. Um, so hopefully there's a, a little bit of optimism that carries into next week as well. And I'm going to end with a public service announcement, just because, you know, as you know, I am a doctor and I do take care of people. And I want to say one thing, if anyone's listening, every 0.02 increase in your blood alcohol percentage, you double your chance of being in a fatal car accident. So just because you're not legally drunk doesn't mean you're not impaired. And the studies tell us that it's dangerous to drive with anything more than a drink or two in you. And so um, keep that in mind um, for, for sure. And then number two, you know, Christmas and Hanukkah is a holiday. Uh, there's a holidays based on peace and compassion. We're going to have some bad weather the next few days. When you get in your car, drive, drive like a compassionate person and be respectful to each other on the roads because this could be a real mess the next few days. I mean, with everyone traveling and all the rain. So just want to encourage people to do that. I want to thank everyone that may have listened to the show. Have a great holiday season, a great Christmas, great Hanukkah for those that celebrate. And we'll catch you back next week, hopefully celebrating a Patriots win against all odds. All right. We'll catch you guys. Take care, Justin. Take care, everyone. Have a great week.